This is Jim Harmer, and you're listening to the Improved Photography Podcast. This episode of Improved Photography is brought to you by Zenfolio. Whether you're a full-time pro or you're just shooting on the side, Zenfolio is a great way to make your photography portfolio and full website for your photography. In fact, it's been voted the number one choice by, f- by professional photographers. Plus, Zenfolio has marketing tools... They'll help you maintain your business to focus on the part of the job you love, taking pictures. You get preset emails, coupons, bundled products, and all kinds of more with the marketing suite. And they have an intuitive setup plus 24-hour support. And right now, you can get 30% off your annual plan with offer code IMPROVE30 at Zenfolio.com. Build it beautifully with Zenfolio. Websites, proofing, and selling. Zenfolio mid-roll number one. Today's episode is brought to you by Zenfolio. Whether you're a full-time professional, you're shooting on the side, or you need a photography website to run your business, Zenfolio is there for you. There are lots of options out there, but only one that has been voted the number one choice for for professional photographers. The real thing that I think makes Zenfolio stand out from the competition is the proofing ability that they have. It really is designed for photography. And so if you want to go out and, and shoot and then send photos to the, to the clients, really Zenfolio is a great tool for doing that, for creating those custom albums, allowing people to purchase digital files and download them right there or get them printed. Uh, to create art uh, to have in their home. It really is meant for the, the specific needs of photographers, and, uh, and it really has uh, great abilities for that. Plus, Zenfolio has the marketing tools you need, you know, emails, coupons, bundled products, uh, all that kind of stuff is built into the technology. Uh, they have an intuitive setup process and 24 support, 24 hour support if you need them. And right now, you can get 30% off your annual plan with code IMPROVE30 at Zenfolio.com. Build it beautifully with Zenfolio. Websites, proofing, selling. Hey everybody and welcome back to the Improved Photography Podcast. Uh, before we get into today, today's topic, which is a special one, because I'm going to be joined by my wife, Emily. Hi. Hey, good to see you. <laughs> Long time no see. <laughs> I just wanted to put a call out for some new writers on the website. We have an amazing team of writers on improvephotography.com, and many of you, probably all of you, have read their work uh, as we have new articles and tutorials coming out every day. Uh, They're really uh, producing some great work, and we want to continue to expand it to make improved photography interesting and enjoyable. So if you're a capable photographer and you would like to start writing on improved photography, just send me an email, jim at improvephotography.com. We pay for our articles and uh, we have a lot of fun too. We have our own little chat that we're always uh, kind of messaging about photography and the articles on the website each day as well. So email me at jim at improvephotography.com if you're interested in becoming a writer. We usually get a lot of applications when we do this, uh, but we are, uh, I'm interested in hiring a lot of writers as well, so a lot of opportunity here. Um, today is going to be a very different episode than what we normally do, because usually we're talking about, well, photography, it's a photography podcast, uh, but today we're going to talk about everything but photography. Um, today's episode is all 
things that photographers can do uh, that are only tangentially related to photography, but that will help you in photography or that were, will be fun because you have similar skills, things like that. Sound good? Sounds good. I'm excited. All right. Well, the first one is something that I know you have done a lot of, Emily, and that's graphic design. Um, you know, as photographers, we're in Photoshop all the time and 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 not just for photography, but like I find myself designing things all the time for photography. You know, you have a photo and you want to put text on it uh, to post on Instagram or something. And you just you want it to look a little bit better than just Times New Roman bolted onto your photo Um or you're doing a logo for your photo business or a client, you know, wants you to d design something for their web wedding album. There are just all kinds of ways that photographers can use graphic design. And actually, I might add, I'm sorry, Jim, but you haven't always been good at this. You <laughs> are now. You are for sure now. But it does take a little bit of practice to recognize what is good. And I think as you became a better photographer, you became a better designer. Yeah, it's not something that comes easy to me. You're right. Um, it's like some people just kind of have an eye for it for just, you know, even just as something as simple as just putting text on a photo, you know. Um, some people just kind of have an eye for how to make that look nice. And I, I don't have it naturally. I had to kind of learn everything to make things look better. Um, so I actually am holding in my hand right now a book called The Non-Designer's Design Book. Have you read through this? Actually, no. This is the only college, well, it's not even a textbook. It's, it's small. It's a small little book. Uh, but they used it as a textbook for one of my classes in college and uh, in during undergrad anyway. Uh, we don't get to talk about design during law school. It's not that much fun. <laughs> <laughs> but my undergrad degree is in communications. And so I had to take a few um, graphic design classes. And uh, this is the only textbook that I kept. You kept a ton of your books. And well, we hauled them around for, <laughs> we hauled them around for like three, three moves. And then we're like, I'm going to make this book disappear. <laughs> <laughs> they were neat when I read them in school. Um, so this book is cool because it just, it teaches you the principles of design um, for somebody who doesn't want to, you know, study this for years and years, just wants, you know, to be able to, you know, make letterhead for your little photography business or um, design up a business card, whatever, just kind of basic things and just have it look nice. And I learned so many things in this book. Uh, in fact, like I'll bet almost every single day when I'm doing something on improved photography, I think back to something that I learned in this book. It's really cool. Um, it's, is this when you got a little bit obsessed with having perfect fonts? Yes, it is. Because, I mean, you just, I mean, you're going to put text on a photo or something and you go through the fonts and you have hundreds of choices it's just so many choices and i didn't know you know which ones look good together and stuff like that and uh and this book kind of teaches you like i don't know how long it is maybe 200 pages but it's short it's like a smaller size and it's awesome it'll teach you kind of you know you want fonts that don't you know if you have one serif font you don't want another similar looking serif font serif means the little I remember you telling me that a long time ago. Yeah, see, I'm telling you this book is awesome. <laughs> the serifs are the little, little 
dilly who's what's is the the little ticks little at ticks, the end yeah. of the font yeah on the, the, on letter. the letters yeah um so you have a, a serif font has little ticks and a non-serif font or a sans serif font uh doesn't and so it kind of teaches you which fonts are going to look good together and stuff like that and it's not in depth or anything it just kind of gives you the principles of it and i've just found it to be super helpful is it skimmable totally totally skimmable uh yeah, it, it is. And there, you know, it's 200 pages, but there are a lot of pictures in here. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a, you know, two hour, three hour read if you're a quick reader. And is it all just about text? No. Okay. Design? So it teaches you just, I mean, it has a lot of text examples in here, but it's, it's teaching you the different principles of proximity, how close things are together to make them look good, alignment, uh, repetition, contrast, and color. And I mean, I can't put it into words, I think, how it impacts photography to like, you know, change your compositions and stuff, but it just develops your eye a little bit for just what things look nice together. And I totally think, I mean, you can get this book for like a couple bucks used on on Amazon. It's by Robin Williams. But not that Robin Williams. Oh, <laughs> I didn't even realize. <laughs> was, yeah, that would actually be very impressive. Uh, but no, not that Robin Williams. Uh, but it's called The Non-Designer's Design Book. And I'm telling you, I'm in love with this book. It's really, really cool. Well, so, you have gotten, you are really good at knowing which texts go together and... You are a lot better. A lot better. That's all we can say. (laughs) No, I think you are good. Does this, uh, does graphic design kind of go with compositing a photo together to uh, make like a movie cover per se or? Yeah, totally. Some Uh, sort of poster, you know, just to be creative with your photography. Yeah, and there there are so many photography projects, especially if you're doing you know, commercial or advertising, anything like that, photography. Um, man, there are just so many projects like that where you want to kind of put different photos together and then you need stuff to go with it. Uh, and I, I think it's awesome. Well, and so since you were saying that this isn't all just about text and stuff, then it teaches you the principles of what looks good. And so when you're adding different photos to go in mm-hmm. on the on the poster, it wouldn't look out of place. You would be able to tell, oh, that's too close. And so it looks unrealistic, you know. Yeah, I think that's especially true with colors. Uh, it has a really good chapter here just kind of teaching you the basics of color theory, just, just enough to make you dangerous. Uh, and that really helps when you're putting different photos together and compositing um, and just considering what you're going to include in the photo to know a little bit about what colors are going to look nice together and what not so much. Okay, another thing, if you're doing graphic design, uh, a lot of graphic design is going to be done with vector graphics. So the difference between a vector graphic and what we usually do in photography is everything in photography is pixels. You know, we have the detail. It's recorded in pixels. Wait, I think I know the answer to this one. <laughs> <laughs> Can I explain sure, it? <laughs> what you got? So... When you blow up a picture, it's full of pixels, and so it can get blurry and blurry and blurry because there's not enough pixels to fill up how much space you want to make it big, how much space you want to fill. But a vector, well, it's not pixels, right? Right. (laughs) So all I know is that it can be as big as you want it to be, no matter what. Yes. And it doesn't change the clarity or the perfectness of the image. 
Yeah, that's right. So, you know, let's say we draw a circle in Photoshop. Well, uh, you know, typically in Photoshop, we're just gonna be dealing with pixels. And so if I made that pixel, you know, you know, whatever, five pixels wide by five pixels tall, and then we stretched it, the edges are gonna look all weird when it gets big, you know, it's gonna look all jagged. Um, but if we were to do it with a vector, no matter how small or big we make it, it's just remembering, okay, there's a there's an arc at this, you know, this degree of an arc going around in a circle and it's red. And so when we stretch it, it's just doing the math and it's just, you know, expanding that angle uh, to make it bigger. Does that make sense? It's just... I think the way I explained it was better. It was probably... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yes, it made sense. <laughs> That's why I needed you on this episode. Somebody's got to bust my chops here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was good. So if you're going to be doing anything with vector graphics... Uh, and I should say, so if you're designing a logo for your photography company or something, don't go to Photoshop. You should be using Illustrator or you should be using something uh, to use, to make it as a vector graphic because if you ever want to blow that up on a billboard or you want to put it on, the, on your car or something where you want to do a really big print of your graphic, you don't want it to stretch. Um, so you, when you're designing a logo, you'd always want to do it in a vector so that you can make it whatever size you need and it, it never gets messed up in the resolution. Well, I have two things to add. The vector, um, you can't uh, make it out of in Photoshop, can you? You know, you're testing me here. I'm not. I'm not positive. I want. I know Photoshop can do. Well, you know, you you're doing like a smart object or something, and that's yeah, that's essentially a vector graphic where you can. Well, it's only sort of. I mean, you're resizing it, and it's going back to the original. You can, you know, go downsize, upsize, downsize, upsize. I don't know if you can, like, just create a normal vector graphic logo, though, in Photoshop. I'm not positive on that. I've never done it that way. Okay, so I know in Illustrator, when I was doing the designs for 48 Hours logo, the logo that you're going to mention later, was that you can't just make your vector, you can't bring an image into Illustrator, and just convert it to a vector. There are some other steps that you have to go through, so it is a little bit of a process to learn how to do, but it is a good one because it is very useful. Yeah, so if you like take a picture of your camera and then you wanna bring it into Illustrator to, uh, to just have that outline of what a camera is to make in your logo or something, um, you know, you can just convert it straight over to uh, to vector, but it's it's not really going to fix anything because it's only taking that detail and expanding it. It's going to be just as if it was pixels. But what you can do is you can kind of remove the detail from that camera shape um, and make it look kind of more like clip art kind of thing. Yeah. And then you could stretch it as much as you want because mm -hmm. you won't notice that detail. Um, so you mentioned Illustrator, um, and if you have Adobe Creative Cloud, so they have the two, the $9.99 a month, which is what most of you guys have. It's just Lightroom and Photoshop. But they, if you pay the $50 a month, you get a lot of Adobe pro programs. Some of them we're going to talk about today, but, one, but Illustrator is one, Adobe Illustrator. Um, and and it's, it's a pretty good standard for graphic design um, just to make vector graphics and things like that. It's actually fun, fun to peter with. It's just, just, just fun. Yeah, it is fun to play with. And you mentioned 48 Hours logo as well. I think this is cool. Actually, this is like 
little hobby. If I had more time, I would love to do this more. Um, there's a website called 48 Hours Logo, or you may have heard of 99 Designs, but I kind of like 48 Hours Logo. Um, and what they are is a business will say, hey, I want a logo, and they'll write kind of an idea of what they want. And they'll put up a prize of whatever, $150, $200 for the winner. And then whoever, uh, and then a whole bunch of designers, anybody, you can uh, make a, a logo for them and submit it. And if they pick yours, you get the 150 bucks. So I've done this with lots of uh, websites. In fact, the Improved Photography logo, um, the old one uh, was from 48 Hours logo and the new version is from 99designs. Uh, but I think this is fun. If you're wanting to just learn some uh, some graphic design, it's just kind of fun. Just, I mean, throw your hat in the ring. You got nothing to lose. Uh, just get Illustrator and take a couple projects and just learn to make some logos. I think it's really fun. No, and it would be really fun to use the photos that you have just stashed on your computer to kind of just learn something new and, and just make something mm -hmm. creative. Yeah, and you've done this a lot, and you win every single time it was really fun it <laughs> you boosted my self-esteem <laughs> um yeah so it's it's fun to to put it together and it's you know it's one of those things that it's not photoshop but it's similar to photoshop so if, if you have the photography skills it, you're gonna be ahead you're gonna you're gonna do okay in, in learning it it's kind of fun oh yeah photoshop really does help when you if if you want to learn illustrator now, we've been talking about vector graphics for graphic design, but obviously there's a lot more. Uh, and a lot of it is just in Photoshop, you know, learning to learn work with text and different, uh, you know, the shape tools, pen tools and stuff that we usually don't really mess with in photography, uh, but they're there. And Photoshop, I mean, when it comes down to it, is designed for graphic designers. It only kind of morphed into a photography tool. Um, but, but, you know, when you look at Photoshop and the way it's designed, it's really meant more for a graphic designer. Uh, it just happens to work well for photography as well. Um, but there are other programs as well, uh, such as InDesign. Uh, InDesign always frustrates me every time I open it. <laughs> this is another Adobe program, and it's for making layouts. So if you wanted to design like a super custom wedding album or something like that, which we've done, mm -hmm. um, you'd do it in InDesign. And you can pull in photos, you can pull in vector graphics, whatever, and it's really just a layout tool. You know, magazines, newspapers, books, all that kind of stuff can be designed in InDesign. That's where you do the layout. And it... I have never been able to use the storyboards in Photoshop, but it's easier to figure those out like page after page and to see the sequence of them in InDesign because it's meant to work with multiple pages and so it'll push one image to the next page mm -hmm. if you if you have an image on the first page, whereas Photoshop, you would just have to move both images to exactly where you want them to go. Right. And so in a way, it is very helpful because it works together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, all the Adobe programs really go together really well. And, and you really see that when you're in InDesign because you'll be pulling files from several different programs uh, for different types of media. So it's pretty cool. So graphic design is the first one. That's a, an, another good avenue that a photographer can take just to learn a new different skill that can then, then help you in, in photography. Okay, the next one is video. Video is the big one. Um, I, I've got a guess that 
the vast majority of improved photography listeners don't do video. Um, and it seems like every time we talk about video, people kind of start to zone out. Because really? It, yeah, I, I thought so. it was interesting to people. I think it's fascinating. I love working with video, but it's a totally different ball game. I mean, you have, you know, lighting and composition and they involve cameras and lenses, but everything else is, it's a totally different ball game doing so video. So do we have a, a group of videographers and a group of photographers and they don't like to mesh? They really don't. There are a few people who do, you know, equal parts still in video. It's not that common. Huh. Usually you're kind of the video guy or the stills guy. And I, I, I think that's a missed opportunity because they, you really, if you're a still photographer, you're going to be a killer videographer. So many times when I'm watching even movies and TV shows and stuff. Oh yeah. Jim's always saying, wait, (laughs) (laughs) rewind. I have to show you, this is a photo nerd thing. And he'll just tell me what's wrong with the movie. (laughs) And you're like, can we just watch Pride and Prejudice? (laughs) Um, or he'll really enjoy a movie because he'll say later, wow, they had really good videography. Uh-huh. I'm always taking pictures of the screen with my phone to get ideas for photos. Um, but it's, they're really, the still photographers make the best videographers because so often videographers are so wrapped up in the motion part of things that sometimes they let just composition and lighting and kind of the fundamentals, especially composition, slip. Uh, you know, when you're watching, you know, PBS or just, you know, National Geographic, just nature kind of stuff, all the time I see a video and I'm like, you know, it's it's okay, but I wouldn't have taken a still photo of that. But you just kind of use the motion as a crutch, you know? It's just like weeds and sunset, and they're like, shoot it, you know, because the weeds oh, are blown. You know, they're using yeah. the motion where it's like, ah, the composition to isn't quite there. To compensate for right. the lack of composition. So I think if you're a still photographer and you start doing video, you know, you have some technical hurdles to come over to learn the all the technical side of video, but I think you're way ahead. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, on YouTube all the time now I'm seeing, you know, just like whatever, Bermuda in 4K. And somebody just goes on vacation to Bermuda and just, you know, does some drone shots and time lapses and stuff. Just beautiful for two minutes and just puts it together and it gets like three million views on YouTube. Oh, well, I think people are getting, since there is so much information out there now about everything and everyone's learning constantly, that Video is a nice relaxer for people. And so they just want to click and enjoy. And Mm -hmm. so it would really get spread around. Yeah, and that's awesome advertising. I mean, it's pretty tough to take a still image that's going to become so viral that it goes out to 3 million people. Mm -hmm. That's really hard to do. Um, But video, I mean, I'm seeing that all the time. You know, that's just simple nature video put to music and it's all the time i'm seeing millions of views Mm -hmm. and dumb dumb youtube videos are are making it like tons of views you Uh know so so if it's a beautiful uh, video it would really go wild Mm -hmm. so i i think it's a just a really good skill for still photographers to learn so let's talk about what oh well also oh never mind you're going to talk about this later time lapse you Mm -hmm. said lots of people have been more interested in time lapse oh yeah lots of interest including me i've really been getting into time lapse a lot and man it's 
fun. It's really enjoyable. Okay, so um, the first thing, the big hurdle for most photographers, in fact, probably the number one thing is we take video. Like sometimes you're out shooting landscapes or whatever and you're like, oh, this would be a cool video clip. You take the video clip and then you never edit it together. That's totally me. <laughs> I have years of, of clips that I just never bothered to edit together because the editing, editing process is really time consuming. But fun. It, it is. is fun. I agree. So Emily has been editing the videos for Improved Photography. If you saw the, the first Nor Norway trip video, that was Emily's handiwork. All right. Pat on the back. You did a great job. Um, and... It's time. How much time do you think it took you to edit that video? Oh, I don't know. Maybe like eight hours or so. Yeah, it's a lot of time. If you want to do a good job with it, you're going to spend a lot of time editing it. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that's daunting for photographers because, you know, you could edit a whole wedding in one hour. Yeah. So the thought of, <laughs> spending, of spending eight hours just on a two minute, 10 minute video, wow, it's crazy. Uh, but it's, it's enjoyable. I enjoy editing video a lot more than I do editing photos. And I love editing photos. But editing video is just such a creative process because... You get to add so much more of your personality mm -hmm. into it instead of taking what photo you had and just dealing with whatever you got. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're throwing music together and you're... It's not just one photo at a time. You're putting all different shots together to tell us an overarching story. And so you got to kind of think through how the story is being told through each of the different clips, even if you're just doing a, you know, a nature time lapse thing, which I think is what a lot of improved photography listeners are going to do. They're going to take a lot of nature clips and put them together and make a little video. Um, even then, you still have a story. Um, in fact, I'm working on a tutorial for Improved Photography Plus right now on time-lapse photography. And one of the things that I really want to make sure I bring out in that is that, you know, I want to pick the song first before I even start shooting all the different clips. So, you know, you get your audio um, and then you kind of want to shoot things that match it. You know, if this is an intense, you know drums and stuff in the in the which song i did try to add that into the norway video and it turned out creepy <laughs> <laughs> but i was going for intense well it's true though but that, that's exactly it they're like sometimes you the the video just doesn't fit the music and so if you pick your song first get kind of what feel you want to have. And then as you're shooting clips, you know, if it's this intense drums and stuff, you better have a storm coming in on your time lapse or something, dark sky. Um, and if it's more just light music, you know, maybe we got some daytime blue sky clouds moving over kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's, it's fun to learn to tell like a much more in-depth story than what we can do in still photography yeah and and you have so much more opportunity to tell and share the story which every photographer is trying to convey to the viewer the story or the exactly what they saw that day they're trying to capture that moment and with video you have so many other things that you can add to it you really can share your experience mm-hmm um, so if you're interested in getting started in video, you obviously need something to edit the video. Um, one option, if you want to do something free, is something I wrote an article on on the website a few weeks ago, and that's Avid. Um, they have a, a new video editor that's free. 
Uh, you can only do up to 1080p, and there are some limits on it, but it's a really powerful editor. I mean, avid, you know, people edit movies on those, Hollywood movies. Um, so that's an, a free option. If you have the full Adobe Creative Cloud, you can use Premiere. If you have a Mac, however, ah, it, it's painful to throw down the money. I think it costs $300, but Final Cut is awesome. It's like five times better than Adobe Premiere. Um, it, it's, I love it. I, so I switched maybe six months ago to Final Cut and I can edit a video in literally half the time that, that I could do it in Premiere. And you can just scrub through faster. It, oh, I love it. Yeah. And Jim hasn't even really learned that much about Final Cut. No, he I'm knew basic. a lot more with Adobe Premiere and he was still going slower with Adobe Premiere than he is now with Final Cut, not knowing as much as he does with the other. Yeah, that's true. I, you know, I used Premiere for a lot of years and I'm by no means a power user, but I, well, I'm pretty capable in Premiere. Um, and within about a week in Final Cut, I, I I felt like I was up to speed, you know? Yeah. Still tons to learn. I do not know everything. There are a lot of buttons in there. Oh, holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's just easier to use. It's so much faster. I like the magnetic timeline. So if, you know, you picture a timeline with a bunch of clips, um, and then later you want to dump a clip in, in Premiere, this is a pain. You got to scoot them out and make space for them. Um, whereas in Final Cut, you just drag it and everything just poof, just scoots to the side away for you. It's just really, really nice. If you could see Jim's hands moving poof, to try to explain poof. that, you'd probably understand a little bit better. <laughs> now, see, everybody's just confused. They're like, I didn't get the visual. <laughs> um, adding motion to video is, I mean, it just makes a dramatic difference to be able to move that camera around and just not make every shot locked down on a tripod. Oh, I was going to say, what do you mean adding motion to video? Because oh, it's already motion. Uh, yeah, just moving the camera during your shots. Which is hard because then mm -hmm. you don't want it to be all shaky and home video-like. So what do you use? Well, if you're... Yeah, see, it used to be... See, I used to have like a jib, a, you know, a crane. So it's like a... Uh, kind of looks like a teeter-totter, I guess. You put your camera on one end and you hold the other and you push down and it lifts it up. You know, I, I don't know how else Is to explain it. Is that the glorified selfie stick I've seen? No, no, that's not it. That's oh. something different. Oh. This is, it's a crane, you know, like you'd see on a movie, you know, it's that. It's, it's a teeter-totter basically for your camera. So you can lift it and get the shots where you're kind of raising up or going down. Um, and those... So can it only stay in one spot? Yeah, I mean, you, it's on a tripod. And it can only move up and down. Well, you can go side to side as well, but there's a better tool for that, really. Okay. It's more of an up and down deal. Um, then the other option is the slider, which is probably a better option if you're just going straight side to side. And it's a series, it's just two metal rods, and the camera just uh, is attached to the two metal rods, and then it slides the length of the rod. Uh, and this you see all the time watching TV and movies. It's just a side-to-side -side movement of the camera, usually real slow. Um, is and it called a slider? It's called a slider. And those are, are really useful, and we're going to talk about that more when we get into time-lapse photography. I just spent 2000 of our dollars sorry, <laughs> on a rhino slider, um, which is awesome. We're going to mention that uh, later. But 
if you're just dabbling in video, you know, you're a wedding photographer and you just want to be able to add a little motion so you can give some clips to the client, or, you know, you're a portrait photographer, even senior portraits, and you just want a little bit of an upsell kind of deal, uh, you know, you can shoot all stills and then put it together in a, in a slideshow and just have a few motion clips in there. I think it just really ups the interest level. Okay, but tell them about the glorified selfie stick. Because it, it is neat, and you you use it for video. Why, thank you, Emily, because that was a perfect transition. Oh. If you don't want to get all the other things, the sliders and cranes and stuff... Yeah, because that's way more advanced. Like, I would not want to use that. Then just get a motorized gimbal. Uh, I, I tried the, so a gimbal is something that you hold in your hand and it, uh, is just going to steady the movement of the camera. So you don't get camera shake. So you're not actually holding on to the camera. You're holding on to this device that, uh, then has some, uh, pivot points and stuff to hold the camera. So it just makes the motion really smooth Super when you want to move it around, even walking up the stairs or down the stairs. It's just one long continuous glide instead mm-hmm. of bumping. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I used to use a glide cam for this, which it has no motor on it. It's just uh, you hold it and it just has some counterweights and stuff and it's kind of smooths it out. But that thing was a pain to use because you had to stabilize it perfectly and get it balanced uh, before you could use it. And it just, oh, it was an incredible pain. But now they have motorized gimbals, which is what you're talking about, where it, it kind of does look like a selfie stick, a really thick one, and it has a motor on it. And you can do this not just with a cell phone, you can do this with a big old, big old giant camera. How big of a camera could you add to it? Because I know you had that little camera that you bought, the po- little point and shoot, and uh-huh. were you using that on there? Yep, you can use that on there, but you can even use a DSLR depending on which one you get. You with can use how a big, big of a lens? Uh, as big as you want if you get, you know, the big beefy gimbals. Oh, so they, so you just have a little one. I have a baby one. And they can get bigger. They can get bigger. I see. That's going to be when more money disappears from our bank account. <laughs> Don't <laughs> let me know. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, you basically hold it. And if you want to do a slider move, a side to side, you just hold the gimbal and just go side to side. And if you want to do a crane move, you just lift it up with your arm. And it's amazing how smooth it makes the video. It's, is it as good as a slider or a crane? No, but it's really close. And if you're just starting out, why not start out with the cheaper option anyway? Because mm-hmm. who knows? You might not even like this stuff. That's right. So you can, uh, yeah, there are lots of options uh, for them. Uh, Zhihun is kind of the brand that's kind of seems to be taking over this space. Is Z-H-I-Y-U-N. Random Chinese company. Uh, but they, they're making some really good stuff. The Zihun Crane is one that's uh, been popular. Um, or the Smooth C is one you can use for your phone. Anyway, um, they're really great. They cost, you know, between $200 and $500, depending on how big you want to get. But it replaces a lot of video tools if you just want to do the basic stuff. Oh, yeah. And so if you, where, where, where do you get them? Is it just on, on Amazon? Amazon? yeah. And then on Amazon, when you're looking at them, will it tell you what size of camera it can hold? So you know what? Yeah, it'll tell you the weight. Stick you need. And I probably wouldn't push it. I want to make, you know, make sure your gear is maybe a pound lighter than what it says. Because sometimes they get a little excited about how, what they can do. Mm. 
Um, so that's that's motion tools. Uh, boy, if you're a wedding photographer and you just want to add a little motion, uh, or you're a landscape photographer and you want to mostly shoot time lapse, but you want to do some that's just you know live motion, just real time kind of video to add into your time lapses, I would probably just get a motorized gimbal uh, to add. You can just toss your camera on there and in seconds just do a couple quick camera movements and you got the video of it too. And you don't have to have uh, speaking on the video, especially for like wedding videos that you mentioned mm -hmm. or things that you're going to give to clients really just because you just put background music to it and they just want to see what happened. Yeah, it's a little motion to uh -huh. see what's happening. Uh, and audio, that's a good point if you just do the do music because adding audio to a video is a whole new ball game. Oh it's, yeah. Audio is a complicated thing. It really is hard to get professional sounding audio. I always wonder why Jim is yelling in here, but it's because so you guys can hear. It's true. <laughs> it, in fact, you, I'm sure the listeners have heard this a hundred times. When we get somebody new on the podcast, I always go through the same tutorial with them. I always say, get your mic. Uh, don't leave it on the desk. They always, people buy the nice mic and then they set it on the desk, you know, two feet away from them. Um, and the problem is the signal to noise ratio. It's just like the ISO on your camera. Your voice is is quieter when you're two feet away. If the mic is right up to your mouth, like this mic is right now to us, um, then your voice is louder than whatever the hard drive on your computer that's buzzing or the fan across the room, etc. So you're drowning out other sounds. So if you have your mic right next to you, it's always gonna sound better. Well, this type of mic, they're meant for that. Um, so yeah, if you're if you're starting to do something with audio, you really do need a separate mic other than just what the camera can do. Um, and then the closer you can get that to the person, the easier your job is as a beginner um, in editing the audio and making it sound good. It's just, it's much more clear. I would take Jim's word for it because he is pretty good at sound and stuff. He even made a website on Soundproof oh, yeah, Expert. Is mm -hmm. that what it was? Yep. And remember the bank vault? I remember the bank vault. I had so much stuff around the room to try to make it silent. And he was he has just been perfecting audio for a f several years. And so he is really smart at it. And so maybe when he has more time to do other fun things that he would like to do, he could talk more about audio. Yeah. And you mentioned the bank vault. The first, I don't know, maybe 40 episodes of the Improved Photography podcast were when uh, we had a studio in Caldwell, Idaho, and we, our, it was an old bank building that we were recording in that was our office, and there was this bank vault, and I just thought it'd be so cool to be podcasting from a <laughs> bank vault. And so I had this Even though huge, nobody sees you. <laughs> two-foot-thick metal door and everything, and I was like, I have, that has to be the place that we podcast from. But you go in there, and it's, you know, it's all metal like the all the walls floor everything is metal and so it just it sounded terrible in there like the worst place you could record a podcast and so i bought like 300 dollars of foam and just put it <laughs> all over the room it was the coolest thing ever oh it was it was great it good was times. yeah good times. it was good times <laughs> jim also froze in that bank vault and so he had to move his office to somewhere a little bit warmer he'd come home 
And he would go to work in like snow clothes <laughs> and he was sitting behind his desk typing and he would say his fingers were frozen. <laughs> the heater didn't work in that office is the worst, but good times. All right, we're going to talk a little bit more about time-lapse photography, getting into drone, print craft, and making frames in the second half of the podcast. But we want to take a second and tank, and thank, tank, we're going to tank them. We <laughs> no, we hope not. We like two these people. sponsors of the Proof Photography Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Canon. Canon's offering a really unique opportunity to work directly with the Canon Explorers of Light. These are some of the top portrait photographers in the industry, and you can work directly with them in a city near you. They'll work with you to refine your lighting skills, your technical skills, building relationships and posing your subjects, etc. Each instructor will demonstrate the gear they use and they love, uh, and also how to get the same results on the gear that you already own. They'll also show you little-known tricks you can do with your camera, optimizing light, and choosing lenses that best convey your message. In addition to a day of learning with the Canon Explorers of Light, you also get exclusive discounts on Canon portrait gear, PDF guides, a chance to touch and try the latest Canon cameras, lenses, and speed lights, as well as all your tech questions answered by an on-site Canon expert. Register now and learn more at canon.us slash learnportraits. That's canon.us slash learnportraits. All right, Emily, we've talked a lot about the, kind of the, the live motion video stuff, but we also want to talk about time-lapse. Time-lapse uh, really is, I mean, I can't say it's trendy because it's not like a new thing by any means, but it really is getting a new uh, audience for it. People seem to really be liking it, like we mentioned on YouTube, and still photographers seem to really be gravitating to time-lapse these days. Um, so you saw my new best friend this week. <laughs> it's called the Rhino Slider. We, we've mentioned this a couple times on the podcast. I think it was last week when we had Kirk on. Kirk has it as well. Um, it's, it was expensive. You can get them for, um, for a lot less. I mean, you can do a DIY project, uh, for, you know, 50 bucks and make a slider that's actually pretty capable. If you just go on, on YouTube and look for DIY sliders, you can make some cool stuff. Just go to, you know, Home Depot or Lowe's and get some metal rods for your slider rails. And then you can make like with an Arduino and stuff, uh, you can make a really simple time-lapse motor to move your camera along the track. Uh, very inexpensive and they're actually really capable. Uh, one step up from that, if you don't want to be that DIY, is you can buy a cheap slider for a hundred bucks and then you can buy for, you know, $50, you can get a really basic time-lapse motor. Um, so there are all kinds of different levels you can do. The problem with the DIY really inexpensive ones is you do have some limits on what you can do. One, the motor just isn't strong enough to, if you want to do an elevated pull, so you're kind of going at an angle instead of just a straight horizontal line. Um, another is it's not going to sync with the camera. So let's say we're shooting the, the Milky Way at night. Well, the, the motor is just slowly moving the camera along this track, which most of the time is fine if you have a short shutter speed. But if you have a long shutter speed to, to take pictures of the stars and you're moving along that track and the motor never stops moving during a 15 second exposure, it's blurry. Um, and it's not, it's not a huge deal. You can still do it if you're moving slowly. Um, 
and you don't have your shutter speed too long because it's going to be put together into a video. Even if each frame looks a tiny bit blurry, it actually can be okay. Um, but it's going to be a lot better, especially for the night photography stuff. If the slider moves a you know tenth of an inch, takes a picture, moves a tenth of an inch, takes a picture, etc. And so you're saying one of the sliders is doesn't stop every little bit. Yeah, the cheap ones won't stop. I see. for each shot. The more advanced ones will move and they'll stop and be totally still while you're taking the picture, and then they'll move again. Mm-hmm. So, and that's that's why I got the Rhino slider. I wanted to be able to do, uh, you know, more advanced things like that um, and uh, moving at an angle. And the other thing that the more advanced kind of sliders can do is you can move on more than one axis. So normally, you know, your camera's locked down, it's facing out in front of you at the mountain and it just scoots to the side. That's the only motion. But what if you, while you're scooting to the side, you also wanted to twist the camera to look more to the right or more to the left. Like while the sun is rising for a couple hours and moving along the sky, you wanted to twist to follow the sun. And for that, you'll need another axis of movement, and so you're going to need a more advanced slider. And the purpose, really, for these sliders is mostly just to add interest to your time lapse. Like Jim mentioned before, adding motion to your video, you're not just stuck on one frame listening or watching the same thing move in the same frame. Your frame is actually moving, and things within the frames are actually moving. So it's just a lot more going on. And that's usually what I'm seeing when people are doing these, especially nature videos that have just been really, really popular. They're just, they're each, each cut, each little clip is just a little different, a little unique. Um, if you have every shot moving to move to the right, move to the left, move up, move down, it's just a lot of motion. It kind of just doesn't flow as well. I usually find that the best videos are, you know, they'll do a slow pan to the right. The next one's just locked on a tripod, not moving at all. The next one is live motion uh, video. It's just kind of changing up the style of the clips. So the you just get a little break from the motion a little bit. You know, some locked down and some moving. That was good to add because if they would have just gone with what I said, they would have been <laughs> way over motioned. <laughs> Um, so I, I guess I want to reiterate, if you're interested in just starting with time-lapse, go do one of those tutorials for 50 or 80 bucks and just get started, um, in, in, uh, in motion. You can find some cheap, uh, motors, uh, to do this with, and it's a, a very simple project to get it started, but you can also get a lot more advanced and do some just really impressive, cool work. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to go shoot in southern Utah with a few Improved Photography Plus members and some of the writers on the website next the, uh, this month. It's September mm-hmm. already, uh, toward the end of this month. And uh, and that's what I want to do. I'm going to shoot mostly time-lapse the whole time. But, I mean, if you're shooting time-lapses, you have, have hundreds of still frames too. So you're, you're shooting still photos as well. It's not like you're skipping out on the stills because mm. you can grab any one of those stills. Um, and you can do crazy stuff too. On an episode of Tripod a while ago, we did an episode about months-long time lapses and years-long oh, time lapses. Oh, yeah. Actually, I've seen those on National Geographic, and they are pretty cool. Yeah, I want to do one in the spring of like a flower field and watching the flowers grow and bloom. That's yeah. pretty cool. Um, I'd love to do that. Or you can get a, so SYRP, S-Y-R-P, not syrup, but SYRP, 
uh, they make one that kind of it. It's like a it's like a pulley system that goes on rope. So you can have cables that go you know 200 feet, and and the camera's hanging off the ropes, and and it just moves the camera a tiny bit, you know, a few inches each shot. And so you can do a time lapse of flying between buildings in New York or, you know, over a canyon in, uh, you know, or over a river, something like that, because uh, you just, anywhere you can attach a rope to be your, your guide, you just have the camera slowly going underneath it. They're really, really cool. It was really neat, but tell, but you decided against getting that one. You wanted the Rhino one, and it's yeah. a lot smaller than the SERP. One. Yeah, it's so, just more practical. I mean, you wouldn't want to set up a cable system between two things for every time lapse. But if you want to get into, if you already have a basic slider and and uh, motor, you know that's that's an advanced place to go. And someday I'm gonna need one of those things. They're <laughs> so cool, so cool. All right, um, so that's it for uh, video and and uh, time lapse. But next we want to talk about drone photography. We'll be a little bit shorter on this one because we talk about this one frequently on the podcast. Um, it, you know, it's drone photography has just recently hit its stride that, you know, you can get pro quality looking uh, image quality from these drones. And that, that hasn't been realistic until really the last two years unless you were going to spend thousands and thousands of dollars on the more advanced ones. But now you can get a Mavic. Uh, you can get a Mavic that does good video, but not such great stills, or a Phantom Pro that you know you can get a publishable quality still from it, um, and and also excellent video as well. With the first drone that Jim bought, maybe you already terrible. shared this, but you tried to jerry rig some sort of thing yourself to make to the make, video steady yeah or to even get it to have video because it mm -hmm. didn't have a place for oh, yeah, a little right. GoPro. A GoPro yeah anyway but now now they have it and you love it mm -hmm. so dr drone photography is excellent you know there are concerns about reg what regulation is going to do to drone photography but i think technology is going to win you know dji's new spark is tiny it's the size of the palm of your hand i mean it's like a cell phone size and so that you know there have been lots of dangers with them just falling and hitting people and stuff but now that they're getting lighter and lighter and lighter just the danger goes way down and so i, I think drones are here to stay and i think regulation is actually going to be easing up in most countries over time just because of how small and unobtrusive they can be just don't don't try to put any explosives on it and you'll be okay <laughs> good tip honey <laughs> All right, last thing we wanted to mention is Printcraft. If you, you know, are still a photographer, which I hope you are if you're listening to this, um, doing interesting things with prints is just a lot of fun. I got right behind us here is the Canon Pixma Pro 100, and it's just so much fun to be able to, you know, you get a photo you like and you just press print and it's, you, you see, see it. it. It's just, it's <laughs> neat. It's so different than seeing it on the screen. Um, so I walked into his office once and he, he just right after he got the uh, printer and he had just countless pictures just <laughs> laying on the floor. And I asked him, what were all those for? And he had no purpose for them. I just wanted to see him. It was neat. <laughs> it was neat. Uh, it, I probably used up a whole thing of ink doing that. I just really enjoyed it. It was fun. <laughs> But also custom framing is another uh, place to get into. You know, if you're just, if you've you kind of mastered the regular printing, 
and you want to start framing things, we've seen some, we, we love going to different photo galleries and stuff when we're traveling around and we see a, a, a gallery paint, painting as well. Um, and some of the frames are just so cool. Yeah, and sometimes the frame makes the photo. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> there could be some pretty lame photos in really cool frames. <laughs> mm-hmm. We we went to Cedar City in Utah? Park City. Park City. Um, Park City a while ago, and they have a ton of different photo galleries, and most of them were excellent work. I mean, really, really good. But there were a couple that... You know, the were, the photos, they were okay, but they were just presented really well. You uh-huh. know, when it's four feet tall and and eight feet wide, it really, who cares how good the photo is? It looks so good. Well, it just immerses you in whatever that photo is of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, especially because they always have great lighting in the, in the galleries. The lighting yeah. makes a big difference on them. But they're all these, you know, the the acrylic prints. Man, those acrylic prints look so good in a gallery, but they're crazy expensive to make them. Um, so, you know, learning how to do that at home, I would love to know how to do it. I have no idea where to even get started. But, uh, boy, if you're interested in print craft, uh, ah, it's a, I think it's a neat hobby. I'd love to learn more about it. Well, and we also looked into doing the plexiglass prints. Yeah, that's acrylic, yeah. Oh, it is. Anyway, because since it was so expensive, but it doesn't really look like it's that hard to do. Mm-hmm. So it'd Maybe be kind of be fun a cool to learn. Improve Photography Plus tutorial sometime. I should find someone who does beautiful custom prints and just learn about printing. That'd be a sweet tutorial. Mm-hmm. I would like to watch that. Um, but the framing as well. Um, I, you know, some photographers will collect barn wood. And we'll make a custom, you know, barnwood frame for a photo of mountains or a barn. That'd be kind of cool. Uh, that, that would be cool. I think take my... a beautiful picture of a barn and then steal a piece of wood and make the frame <laughs> out of the barn. This is awesome. Uh, or we saw when we were in Vegas, I can't remember whose gallery it was, um, but it was an ocean kind of scene, beach scene. And they had all the frame was like old you know, boat wood, you know, all chipped up, kind of uh, eaten at by storms and stuff, kind of wood. And it, with bright colors on it, brightly colored yeah. paint. Man, it was so cool. I don't know. It just maybe kind of adds more to your photo. just kind of gives more feeling to uh, it. Man, I, I, that's awesome. I, yeah. So Jim has collected old wood before <laughs> to Never try to made frame. A frame. <laughs> Never quite got there. But I got to the wood stage. But we did collect some. <laughs> we made it one step closer. Well, there's there's so much else you can do if you're a photographer and you're interested in just learning kind of similar crafts. Um, one that you do uh, is painting and drawing. Um, where, ah, man, sometimes I think the same thing when I see paintings is I'll look at them and I'm like, ah, you know, a photographer would be so good at painting because... You have no limits. It doesn't even matter what's actually there. You could just make up where that tree is and stuff. And so sometimes I look at paintings and I'm like, you mean you could choose where everything goes on there and you chose for it to go there? Because as photographers, you I mean, that's what we do. You got to learn composition. Um, and so if a photographer then learns another hobby like painting or drawing, you could probably be good at it, which I'm a terrible example of because I the worst person in the <laughs> world at drawing. Um, but, 
But it's another thing where you can take the photography skill and kind of move it into another genre. Oh, yeah. And just like learning about the shadows and the the dark that you, that you have to paint oh, before yeah. you paint the lighter colors and color mixing and stuff would really help to make complementary colors in your compositions as a photo and to know like what kind of contrast to have where and and just I don't know it just gives you more knowledge and capability of making something beautiful well Emily welcome your first debut on the improved photography podcast thanks for sitting down and recording with me you're welcome and listeners, thank you for your support of the podcast. Really appreciate everything you do. If you haven't checked out Improved Photography Plus, go check it out. That's a great way to support what we do and also to learn photography. I mean, we have a, an incredible number of tutorials and, and resources available for you there. So check it out. Do your two-week free trial at improvedphotographyplus.com. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you in another seven days. <laughs>